Welcome back to the Deeply Rooted Podcast. Today's episode is one of my favorites. It's talking about healing from the places of pain and the wounds that we've experienced in just past history with other people or even with ourselves. I often imagine our hearts like little pin cushions full of little pins and each pin a point of pain. Just imagine the gentle, caring hand of the great physician coming, identifying each pin for what they are and gently removing them and his grace covering it and his mercy anointing it for healing. Today, I pray that as you listen to this, if there are wounds and pains that have been hard to release and let his hand heal, that today would be a day that you allow him to do that and begin the process of bringing healing into those places. It is the invitation he always offers us, not that we would numb, ignore, or hold them to ourselves, but instead give him full permission to do whatever is needed for us to be well. Today we talk about what it means in the response, the supernatural work of the Lord when we say yes to that. I hope that you're encouraged. Welcome friends to the Deeply Rooted Podcast with Sarah Cooper and Iliad Svetkov. We want to welcome you with great joy and open arms. We are, some might say, jubilant on this episode because we get to talk about our journey in mending and healing when it comes to the prophetic. And last episode, Sarah shared some of the vulnerability, rejection, and journey through loneliness and wilderness when it comes to being rejected by people in her gifting and office as a prophet. And I shared a little bit about my story where I was hurt by the prophetic. And we talked about how both of us, if there was a prophetic coin, we exist on other sides. One side is Sarah, on the other is me. And both of us are coming from opposite sides of the spectrum, and yet we find ourselves sitting at the same table. And I left the episode with a note saying, but God. Because of God, we're going to share our stories of mending and healing, not that we have attained wholeness or perfection in ourselves, amen and hallelujah, but that God is good. And so we're just going to share a little bit about how we came to the table. I get really excited in my spirit when I think about just testifying to what God has done to even get me to the table, a table I didn't want to be even at, a table with his people and, and with him. After all that hurt that I experienced from youth and then going into really letting the Lord transform me and grow me with my purpose and what he was asking of me as a prophet, as someone who just wanted to give him my whole life, I realized that the journey there was going to require a lot more give than maybe I had thought about. And I discovered what that was because the closer I got to the Lord, the closer that I got to Him, the things that had hurt me, the things that had wounded me, the things that had come between me and being able to love His church were getting pressed on. 
and getting squeezed out. And I realized that those hurts and wounds were something that the Lord didn't want me to get rid of. He wanted to heal me from. And it took the pressure off of me having to be the one with the solution and going to him who was the solution. But those things that were keeping me from being able to move forward into what I knew he wanted me to do, and that was to teach and equip his church and how to, how to draw near to his heart. I couldn't do that until there were certain things in my own heart that he had healed. You know, I think everybody wishes they could go back and fix things so that the thing that happened to them didn't happen. But the reality is our wounds at best get to be scars. So mm-hmm. how has your relationship as a prophet changed over the years when it comes to maybe a teacher or a pastor or knowing your wound and having the Lord begin the journey of healing in that process? What have been maybe like some of the things that were frustrating before that now you find yourself in a place of understanding? There is a man called John Thompson, who is a pastor and an incredible teacher in the sense of teaching about the prophetic. He says that whatever it is that you're most irritated about in the room is probably what your gift is. So if you're irritated that people in the room are not praying enough, your gift is probably the gift of intercession because <laughs> you want to see more of it. You and you're irritated that, you know, that people don't seem to care, but they just haven't been gifted with that spiritual gift of intercession, but you have. And so you you hold the tension of that in the room. And I would say that the closer I got to God and the more he revealed spiritual gifts to me, the more I became very aware of my irritations. And when I would go into a room of believers, I would be really aware that there were things being stirred up inside of me that I didn't have patience for. But a fruit of the Spirit is patience. So I had to reconcile that. I had to deal with that. I had to look at that and say, why is that? As you do that, you start to, okay, well, what what is bothering me? And sometimes what comes from that is actually places that you've been wounded and hurt, not just your spiritual gift, but you're actually wounded and hurt in that place and you need some healing. Something that bumped up against me early on in just this really rediscovery of faith with the Lord and this journey um, is I realized that the ways that I had been wounded by the church, I was having a hard time letting it go. So for me, it wasn't so much of just really wanting God to take it. I actually wanted to hold on to it because mm. it was my normal. That's a hard I pill to swallow. I didn't want to give it up. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people that would resonate with that. I know I do. I know I do. And I don't know what it is. Like, I don't know what it is, but there's something that's holding on to the wrestle. And I don't know, maybe unforgiveness would be too strong of a word, but there's something like holding on to that. You know, I spoke with someone a couple of weeks ago who is really going through a process and they were sharing their hurts. In doing so, they made a comment that I recognized, said, I don't want them to get away with it. I can't let this go because I don't want them to get away with it. And I think oftentimes we think if we surrender our pain and if we surrender our wound and if we let the Lord do the healing work that we need to be well, that somehow it's going to tell a story that says that that wound never happened 
or that pain isn't real and needs to be ignored. Those are that's not true. That's not the case. And I had to decide, will I let what has been done to me be greater than what God has done for me? And that was the invitation of the Lord. It's like, will you believe that what I have done on the cross and through resurrection is going to be greater than anything that has ever been done to you? That's a really big question. That's huge. An invitation. But the more you learn about who God is and, and how and why he loves us, it's hard to deny. This was really shown a light on and, and really revealed to me one night in an evening service at my church. I remember it like yesterday. I was in worship crying out to God, not wanting to let go of this thing and just telling the Lord, I want to serve you. I want to serve you. I want to serve you. I love you. I just don't love your people. And the Lord so clearly said, Sarah, you cannot love me and not love my people. And in a room full of people singing their hearts out, it just got quiet for me. It Mm -hmm. got really quiet. And I heard that and I knew that the Lord was like, you can, you can lay it down and pick me up or you can stay in this wrestle. But I didn't want to wrestle anymore. I was tired of that wrestle. And the Lord in his graciousness gave me a picture to understand better. I'm a very visual person. I learn better through visual learning, through pictures and illustrations So the Lord gave me this picture, it was really funny, of me holding this sword. It was a really big sword, and I'm walking into a room of church people, and I'm just waving this thing around, (laughs) like in a self-protection mode. And I'm just like, like, whoa. King Arthur, here's King Sarah. I mean, this is going to probably be really blasphemous to some people, but I've never seen Star Wars. It's what I imagine, you know, as they have a lightsaber, and they're just like, around in the room. That's what I looked like with this sword. And the Lord was like, if you don't put it down, you're going to hurt somebody. Mm. You need to put it down. You don't know how to use it yet. The Lord was like, you have to put down the self-protection because that's not what's going to protect you. I'm the one that protects you. So before you hurt somebody out of your woundedness and your hurt, I need you to put that down. And then I'm going to show you how to use it. I'm going to show you what I sound like. I'm going to show you how I speak and how I talk and how I approach my people. I'm going to teach you how to use that sword, but it's not against my people. I literally got up from my chair. I was like, I have to confess this. I have to confess this and I have to get this out of me and I have to let it go. So I got up and my pastor was just quietly worshiping in the very back of the of the church auditorium. And I just went right up to him and I just looked at him and I was like, I just have to tell you that I hate God's people and that's wrong. And I love God, so I'm going to let it go. And his eyes just got really big, like, what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> and I said, I just need to ask forgiveness from the Lord. But I need to tell somebody, I just feel like it's really important to tell somebody that I want to I want to get rid of this and give this to the Lord. And he just looked at me and he goes, you're forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like bawling and we're good friends. And, but that was really early on in, in him and I getting to know each other. So I can't only imagine what he thought in that moment. But I went back and I sat down and I just told the Lord, okay, so show me, show me and teach me. 
Well, that was just the beginning of me even knowing how to take a seat at the table. Wow. So that was you like pulling up a chair and being like, yeah. I'm willing that this was a major shift pivot moment in your life. Wow. So where, where do you go from there? So you've got a chair, you're at the table. How do you move on from here's my calling, clearly anointed, here's my gift, here's my relationship with the church. How do you begin to engage? The first thing is I received the forgiveness of the Lord. I was able to go from there because I actually received the forgiveness of the Lord. And repentance, the word says that repentance brings refreshment. It restores us. It refreshes us. It brings us back to where we the Lord originally wanted us to be. And I would say that I, I encountered that in a profound way. I felt a lightness and the irritations, it was almost like someone had dimmed them down. It was like Holy Spirit turned the mic down on the irritations. And I had this posture of learning rather than judgment and self-protection. And only the Lord can do that. That was a supernatural work. But my response was to lean into that. And to go from there was to start to learn how to engage in relationship with other people in a healthy way that was not suspicious or looking at them through a lens that says this person is going to hurt me, even if they do. (laughs) Sorry, I will take that back. I I wouldn't say it's looking at them through a lens of they're not going to hurt me. They actually are going to hurt you. It's looking at them with a lens of saying, I'm going to love you anyway. I'm going to love you anyway. And I'm going to love you with the love of God. Phrase that comes to mind is uh, the verse that love covers a multitude of sin. And when you talked about kind of the hurt, the annoyance, the frustrations were dimmed down. Right. And I was just thinking your love for the Lord, right? How how it started is, God, I love you. I love you so much, but I hate your people. Or I just, I can't stand your people or, or whatever the language is. And then the Lord being like, you can't love me and hate my people. And I do think the delight of the Lord, the forgiveness and repentance, it's almost like an overflowing fountain. There is something very real there in what you said about like a repeat offender. It doesn't mean that they're not going to hurt you again, but love overflows. And it doesn't excuse anything that would be abusive or sinful. It doesn't excuse those things, just means that when you are approaching people, you are looking at them as a created being, not as an enemy, someone made in the image of God, not your enemy. So how did you begin to, I guess, operate in your gifting? Because you can't deny that at the expense of people. When it is calling, now you are living, walking in obedience to the Lord in tandem of engaging his people, wrestling with his people. What does that look like? You have to practice. You have to practice. You find a few people. I had maybe two or three people that I would go and just pray with them. And I would practice to hear the voice of the Lord. And in the mornings I would get up and I would I would just spend hours in prayer, just being quiet, reading the word, and listening for the voice of God. It it was just practice. That's how we come to know how to do something well, right? Is through practice. And so praying for people, discerning the voice of God in that prayer and in that intercession, and inviting the Lord in to show me more. Whatever he wanted to show me, he had permission to. I gave him that. 
that was when my eyes started to see more. My ears started to hear more clearly and crisply. And so I stopped second guessing. Is that you, Lord, or is that me? I was becoming able to know his voice so that when he spoke for his people, I could hear for them and then move to act. What did your community look like at the time? You're not doing this in isolation, right? So, I mean, as far as the dynamic of your community that allowed you to practice, what did that dynamic look like? Were there key people in the church that you connected with, anybody that mentored you, or was this just a safe place full of grace that allowed you to practice? I would say it was definitely a place full of grace that allowed me to grow in my faith and practice and ask a lot of questions. I think what was interesting is my pastor at the time didn't really have answers and was learning as well, but he was open to learning. And so that was really interesting. I actually was in a community where nobody around me really knew, but were experiencing different supernatural encounters with the Lord as well. And so because we were talking about it and because we were going out on mission together into the community, such as going over to someone's house and praying for them if they were under demonic oppression and seeing the Lord do a deliverance from that stronghold and seeing the transformation of their life over time, you know, that was incredible. And we all we it was like literally what I think the first church would have looked like. Like we mm. don't know what we're encountering other than it's Holy Spirit. And we're going out and we're just watching miracles. I remember being in a Bible study of women who were in recovery. And one woman was really struggling with migraines. And God gave me the ability to, and I didn't know this at the time, but the Lord was like, put your hand on the back of her head. And I just asked her, is the pain here? And she said, yes. And um, I prayed for it to go. It immediately went. It immediately left her. She testified later that she hadn't experienced a migraine since then, probably six months later. And she's like, I really believe that the Lord healed me. So it was encountering that, but you know, I maybe somebody else was there praying for someone else, but it was just serving alongside people in my church, but really all of us learning as we went. Man, that's cool. I was going to say low-key jealous, but I'm high-key jealous. Like that's that just seems like a really sweet experience to be in a place. And I love, I love that your pastor was in a similar place where he, like, he didn't have all the answers. It wasn't him. Not that that's bad to like walk you through how to do things, but there is something sweet about mutual discovery that you guys are in it together. And I love the freedom to go out and pray, to lay hands on people for healing, all of these things. That just sounds like a really, really sweet time. Just taking the Lord at his word and believing that he was there and that he wanted to be there and that he wanted to reveal himself in a greater way to us. We were able to partner with the spirit in that. There are some of my most favorite moments and encounters with the Lord during that time frame. And I really believe that the Lord was restoring quickly a lot of my time with the church that I had lost growing up. And God is so faithful to do that. Um, I just think that in that season for me, it was really accelerated 
And I'm very grateful. Was there something about your partnership with your pastor? Because now it's prophet, pastor, two different offices working together to build the kingdom of God. Was there something in that partnership that you look back on and you're like, man, that was really sweet or anything that you found, I don't want to say difficult, but challenging um, or encouraging or anything that you can take away from that time in your life in the newness of that partnership? I think being in a community where there's the sweetness of humility, just a posture of humility of like, we're not trying to be anything special here. We literally do not know what we're doing. We are just totally dependent upon the Lord. And then he surprises and delights us by what he does. And we're like, what? What? Did you see that? Did that really happen? It grew our faith to believe for even more. Like our faith was growing in the Lord in ways that we had not experienced. It was really special. I think the humility and the willingness to listen. I know for me, I'm a verbal processor. And this is just personality, but I'm a verbal processor. And so to have leadership that was willing to listen to me, take the time to listen to what I had to say and prayerfully respond was just really helpful. But even just to process some challenging things, like I don't understand this or why this happened and just holding that with me, even if they didn't have the answers, it left room for the Lord to answer the way that he wanted to that was really impactful. Is there something that you would want to tell your younger self? You're not a problem. You're not too much. I would have loved for my younger self to know that how the Lord made me was not too much and what the Lord put inside of me was not too much. Maybe for some people, but not for the Lord. Is there any word of advice to somebody in a similar place where you found yourself? whether it's stepping into their gifting, honoring the Lord with their obedience, or learning to forgive and love the church that you'd want to give. There is no greater love than laying down your life for a friend. And I think that even forgiving is part of laying down your life for someone else. And there's a lot of joy when we release the things that are causing us pain or have hurt us. The truth is is that joy comes in and takes over and it takes time. Healing takes time, but it is so much better than holding on to the pain. It'll be worth it. It will be worth it. Earlier, we mentioned that either you or I have arrived to glory and perfection and and everything is, you know, (laughs) but where do you find yourself today? Where is Sarah Cooper today? Today, I'm still on a journey, just even today telling Ilya about the challenges and struggles that I face in just my own walk of faith and the insecurities and the things that come up that God has to be laid before him and ask him to work out of me. I can't do it on my own and recognizing my own fragility and weakness Um, And it's one of the greatest things I think I've come to realize that even if it doesn't feel good in the moment, it is one of the greatest sacrifices I can offer the Lord because then his strength gets to take its place. And that's where the real power, his power gets to manifest into my life and into the situations that I'm walking through. That's where I'm at today is knowing that, man, even if I don't like this right now, I'm going to love what he does on the other side of it. 
I'm going to love who he makes me to be on the other side of it. I also would say I am not ashamed of who God has made me to be. I get sad if it's misunderstood or rejected, but I am just so grateful for how God made me. Grateful that I get to live this life with him the way that he has provided. Amen. I find myself interested in in some of the things that you've said. I found them to be very similar to my story in how I found my way to have a seat at the same table. Similar, but different. And I kind of categorize, because this is just the way my brain works, but I categorized my story into kind of three parts. The first one's learning what it is, learning to forgive, and learning to re-engage. I think I found myself similar to the Apostle Thomas. He's known as Doubting Thomas. And the infamous verse or famous verse, depending on who you are and how you look at it, is in John 20, 25, where he says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And I found myself coming from a place of hurt and really saying, because it is not me, therefore I do not believe. I think there's an element of arrogance in that statement because thinking I am this person and if I don't have it, therefore it does not exist. I think when we read Thomas's comment, a lot of us as onlookers will go, that's crazy. He is staring at the resurrected Christ. He is face to face. He has lived and walked with Jesus. That's kind of where I found myself initially. And the journey of healing for me began in a, a small group of pastors that are very well known, and I won't mention them by name, but they started going through a journey over the last decade. And it started with them going from multi-campus satellite churches to branching out into independent autonomous churches. These big name pastors started taking their satellite churches and hiring pastoral staff, lead shepherds, and then there began this fight for unity. And I think one pastor that I think everybody has probably heard of in the evangelical world is Francis Chan. Francis Chan stepped down from his mega church, started doing home churches. There was a movement where he went to a couple of prophetic conferences and spoke with what I would say maybe are controversial figures, people who would self-identify as prophets, and he was speaking on the same stage with them. The openness that that created for me in regards of saying, here's a group of people that I have watched their church ministry for the last decade, people whose teaching I've sat under for myself, and they are making this move towards unifying the church. And so then for me personally, there was two instances that have radically transformed or that I would call encounter. And the first one was there was a intruder in the GCC Grace Community Church. I don't know if it was during the Strange Fire Conference or if it was during a sermon, but a guy ran on stage and this was around the what? Same yeah, this is around the same time the Strange Fire book came out. There's a conference and it was the big cessationist push movement. And there was a guy that ran oh, wow. on stage. And I don't know if it was during that or if it was during like a Sunday service, but he ran into the auditorium. He ran on stage and he said, John MacArthur, your doctrine of cessationism is quenching and grieving the Holy Spirit. 
And yeah, it was wild. It was like, where did this guy come from? And immediately, you know, here's the security. They're grabbing him. They're yanking him off the stage. But in that time, I remember seeing that and going, man, first of all, what is cessationism? And what about that is grieving the Holy Spirit? And that began the journey of maybe re-examination for myself personally. What great curiosity. Yeah, because I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit, right? Like everything aside, I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. If I believe this is the third person of the Trinity, grieving the Holy Spirit is grieving God. Mm. I don't want to find myself in that position. So what am I buying into from a select group of pastors and teachers that could potentially lead me to grieve the Holy Spirit? That was the initial point where I was trying to slam the door on the prophetic. The Lord stuck his foot in between it and like would not let me close that door. And then the second encounter was with somebody you guys might all know, Sarah Cooper at a camp weekend. And I think I've shared the story before in a previous episode where Sarah prayed for me and it just rocked my world. I don't think there's a better way to put it. The Lord presented himself. There was really a radical encounter in a way that it was undeniably the Lord was present in the room. And I've said this before, and I don't think I mentioned this, but there was two times in my life where I cried as hard as I did that day. It was that day and the encounter and the day that I gave my life to the Lord. I remember coming back as a high school kid, senior year, I went to my church when pastor was praying for me. And in the middle of him praying for me, him and an elder laid their hands on my head and said, welcome home. And I just ugly wept, just uh, like snot. Nothing about it was like, it was indecent. It was embarrassing. And there was two times in my life where I cried that hard. It was when I gave my life to Jesus and when Sarah prayed for me, I felt like the invitation to welcome back home. Both of those things over the course of a few years led me to revisit the scriptures commentary aside, sermons aside, podcasts aside, it's just me, Jesus, and the Word. My journey to learning to forgive was discovering that I really wanted freedom from bondage. When I hold things in unforgiveness, it leaves me in bondage. And the first thing was realizing that the people who offended me are human, and so am I. Sometimes when I am hurt by people, what I realized was that oftentimes I elevate them in a place where I should not have. I give them a pedestal that only belongs to the Lord. And so in realizing that um, there's only one person who is good and perfect, and that is the Lord God Almighty. And the reality is sin is real, and I'm equally subject to its power. I remember meeting with a mentor of mine and talking to him about certain family members and some of the things that were going on. And he said, Ilya, they are human and so are you. If you are disconnected from God, you are equally as capable of doing horrendous, evil things. Humility began to present itself. I don't think it's as as black and white or as binary as sometimes we paint it to be. I think people connected to the Lord, connected to the vine, are capable of doing incredible things for the kingdom of God. And disconnected from that, I think, is an example of power without connectedness. Sarah talked about witchcraft in the last episode, stems from manipulation. So when we hear things and then we choose to distort it, we are crossing territory into witchcraft. 
learning to forgive, one was stepping into humility, realizing they're human, so am I. And if I become disconnected from God at any point, I am equally as capable of committing the same acts as they are. And learning to forgive is stepping into freedom for myself. Unforgiveness keeps me in bondage. That was the moment where learning to forgive led to learning to re-engage. And re-engagement has to be kingdom-driven. And Sarah, you mentioned this about your relationship with your pastor, and I smiled when I heard you say it. You said humility. The thing that was present between the two of you, your relationship together, was humility. Learning to re-engage with the church, and by that I mean the greater church. Like, I'm not just saying your local church, even though I do think that's important. I mean the church at large and the variety of the members of its body. And by that, I mean people like Sarah Cooper, who I've met over the years. Humility has been at the center of our relationship. It's interesting, and I think it's important to point out that Illy and I didn't go over these points of story before this podcast. And so I had no idea that this would be a point that you would bring up in your story and how it would really be so cohesive. I mean, isn't that so interesting? that humility leads the way in both of our stories. I guess it's a delightful surprise. When I was hearing you speak, and for those that are listening, Sarah and I are so different. And so I am like, hey, I like wrote this quick little outline for for what I think I'm going to say, or maybe even the direction that I'll go. And Sarah was like, hey, I think you just let me do my thing, and then you do your thing. And I think this is the partnership of a prophet and a teacher. And I was like, oh, okay, great. (laughs) And then as I was hearing what you were saying, the points that you were making, I'm like, man, there is so much crossover between our stories. All weaved together. And and, and wouldn't that just be God in the midst of all of it? (laughs) Isn't it? wouldn't, Wouldn't it just be like him to do that? Out of wounds come scars. And in the healing journey, there's intersection, the crossover between the two. And I, and I do think humility leads the way. And the the big thing that I think a realization for me in learning to re-engage was I thought unity, again, I would never say this, but I thought unity was optional. I really did. Like I think before there's a lot of things that I would think are reasons for division. And I think the term hills to die on is like a big deal in in the theological world. Reading through, I remember teaching through a series on on John. I got to chapter 17. And I remember one of my pastors telling me, you know, Ilya, some people don't even preach on this chapter because it's so holy. It is so, it is just Jesus talking. It's the son talking with the father. It's so intimate that there's been through history, some pastors that would refuse to preach on it, like wouldn't touch it. And I I was reading through it and the bulk is Jesus praying for his disciples for unity. And the key verse in there is He says, I'm doing this so that they may be one just as you and I are one. So the same unity that's experienced in the Trinity between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he desires that we would experience that kind of unity amongst one another. And I just remember reading through that and being like, man, this is God's heart for his people. So unity is not optional. And the older I get, I am less and less likely to use the word division. When it comes to doctrine, there's the three Ds of doctrine. It's death, like hills to die on. There's division, 
debate and discussion. When we start talking about the scriptures, what is worth discussing, what is worth debating, what is worth division, and what's worth death? And I think there is a handful of things that I would say are worth dying for and worth dividing over. And this is not one of them. It doesn't even come close. So unity then becomes of the utmost importance. We have to fight for unity. Whatever the cost is, we have to fight for unity. I'm not saying agree with things that are heretical. Like we're not denying the divinity of Jesus or the power of atonement. That's not what right. this conversation is. So fighting for unity. And then the other thing was a community that seeks understanding. So this is where I kind of started to venture out and one, engage with Sarah in conversations around like, hey, can you teach me what this looks like? Can you help me understand the voice of God in my life? Then it was finding this little home church where people would give prophetic words, where they would spend two hours in worship. And I remember originally showing up and saying, hey, like, what's the plan for tonight? And him saying, this is the plan. And he pointed in his living room. And people were just worshiping. That was it. Like it was like, hey, I love it. The point of tonight is to just be on our face and on our knees before the Lord. It was communities like that where they gave me permission to just be myself. There was no expectations for me as a, a teacher and a pastor at the time to be something or someone. It was like, hey, you can just come into this space, you can be yourself with all of your insecurities and doubts. And that's the kind of community where, and that's kind of where simultaneously with my conversations with Sarah and this community, where it was a safe place for me to go, hey, I think I got a word, you know, and, and it sounds a little weird, but here it is and I'm going to say it and and go for it. And, and then outside of those gatherings, hanging out with these guys and girls and getting coffee and just having deeper conversations around Hey, what does your relationship with the Lord look like? And it's interesting to me in the re-engagement, I thought as a teacher, and this is something I've asked for forgiveness for, is a shift in perspective. As a teacher, I thought, man, these people act this way because they don't know God or they don't read their Bible enough. And something that I had to repent from as a teacher was when I remember I walked into this guy's house and he had a closet in his house. And he opened it up and it was full of sticky notes. Scripture saturated every aspect of his closet. He had a wooden stool and a lamp and in front of it was his Bible. And he said, every morning I'm in here praying and reading scripture. And it was hours. I remember I went camping with him one time and he was up at like 4 a.m. outside in the grass, <laughs> just praying and worshiping. Right. I'm like, I'm like rolling out of my sleeping bag, you know, at like 7 a.m. And he's had his three hour devotional. And the Lord was like, it's not that they don't know me. It's because they know me. That's so good. It's because they know me. What were those actions that caused you to have that thought of they act that way because they don't know God or don't read the word? We stick our own post-it notes and sticky notes on people like that when we see something that's uncommon. So I'm just curious if you could expand just a little bit on that. I think initially some of the things that I used to think would be associated with being loud and what I considered out of control. So an example of that would be, and I would, I would say it was a lack of order, right? I would say like, oh, things aren't orderly. So therefore this cannot be from the Lord. And I would attach the verse in, is it first or second Timothy? 
where he's given us a spirit of not of timidity, but of power and self-control. And so I would associate self-control with order and my understanding of order. When we say order, what do we mean? I think that's a whole conversation in and of itself, but in my understanding of order in the reformed conservative tradition of my faith looked a certain way. So when I started engaging with these communities and real life examples would be, I would see people on their face weeping. And I'm like, that is irreverent. Or I would see them literally shout with joy. Like they would just be loud. It like drove me crazy at first. Like, man, they want to worship for three hours. Like, when are we going to get to the scripture study? When are we going to crack this book open? And so some of these things, I would step in this environment and think to myself like, oh man, like they're just doing, they're, they're being hysterical. They're acting out of control. And I would associate that with like, well, they just don't know the word enough. And when the Lord switched mm-hmm. that on their head, and I just said it on this podcast, the two times that I've ugly cried has been two of the most intimate encounters with God. So what does that say about me? In those intimate mm-hmm. encounters with God, is it because I'm lacking understanding of him or is it because I'm encountering him in a way that I haven't encountered him before? I'm being taken to a deeper level of understanding. It's not for a lack of understanding. It's not for a lack of knowledge. It is that my knowledge of God as a father, as the creator, sovereign ruler of the universe is just went from my head to my heart and it brings me to my tears. That to me was a huge shift um, and something that I'll be honest, I say I had to repent from. I was like, man, no, these, these people just know Jesus differently. And I want to know Jesus differently as well. Thank you for sharing that. That's really, really good. As we wrap up this episode and we move on, let's just pause and go back and, and look and see how God has weaved this together. I think it's really important to end on that and seeing how two people, opposite sides, coming together to one table, the steps in both of our journeys was humility, a call to unity with the body of Christ, and finding not enemies, but community that sought to understand and have intimacy with the Lord in a greater way. I'm almost speechless right now of just sitting in that, in the beauty of that. But friends, that is what God is inviting us into, and that's what He offers us. It's a gift. And I know that Ellie and I, when we get off this podcast, we're going to pause and we're going to, one, thank God for His goodness over us being able to even have a seat at the table. How good is God for that? But also to pray for you and wherever you are on this journey of intimacy and growing closer to Him. We'll talk to you next time.